everyone, I'm Saya, and you're listening to the Stars in My Pocket podcast. Welcome back for our drama deep dive on I'm Not a Robot, an NBC drama that aired from the beginning of December last year to the end of January this year. I'm Not a Robot is the first and so far only one of the robot dramas to have aired, but I'm ready to call it one of the best dramas of 2018 already. Listen to me, Barma, and Nisa go in-depth talking about the actors, characters, and themes of this drama with our special guest this time, Lee Tennant. Lee brings us some really great stuff on interpreting the symbolism in the show, and we also spend some time talking about how to view its almost radical treatment of its female characters. Don't forget, you can use the show notes to skip to the parts that interest you. And so, without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, this is Borama. And today we've got a special guest, uh, or is it a member of the fandom, plucked at random, <laughs> um, Lee Tennant, <laughs> whom some of you may have um, come across her posts on Drama Beans. She wrote some very interesting analyses and commentaries, um, and currently is going under the name Chingu Modu. <laughs> um, and <laughs> we're really glad to have you with us today. And adding a special feature of making us a four accent podcast right now because um, Lee is in Australia. Say hi. Hi, everyone. This is Lee with my Australian accent. Yay. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) I think we've uh, heroically managed to align ourselves across four different time zones, which was no easy feat. Thank you, Anissa. (laughs) Yes, for waking up at 5.30 in the morning. Seven, but it's Sunday, so I, I think that counts as five thirty. Seven is way too early. Yeah, it's okay. I love you guys, so, and I love our listeners, so it's oh, worth it. on Sunday any time is way too early. But not for you, Sungho. <laughs> the things we do for our—they're um, not even oppas, are they? They're our babies. <laughs> Um, so, uh, can I start with Lee about your general thoughts on the drama and how it left you feeling? Uh, well, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that I really, really liked this. Um, I think it's probably one of my favourite shows ever, actually. Um, not that it was perfect, nothing's perfect, but um, but yeah, it. I just thought it was um, it was really uh, heartwarming, really delightful. Uh, quirky and sad and and all of those emotional things but for me personally I also thought that there was this other layer of really really interesting stuff going on that was gave it an extra bit of meat to its bones you know about um about a lot of other issues you know gender issues and um uh issues about technology and that sort of thing that that really brought it to another level for me yeah I I agree with with Lee it's it's uh like surface on the surface level it's just a really cute rom-com and I liked how it kind of takes that it's like a familiar trope for them to fall in love while having some kind of misunderstanding or lie or like it's almost like a secret identity drama but it because it's a very new concept um it kind of puts an interesting twist on that we get a twist on the amnesia trope um and and like you said we it does actually go into some deeper issues than I was really expecting for the first half of the drama. Like as you go along, it addresses stuff that I was like, Oh, I wasn't expecting this to be that deep, but I kind of like it, but it it still maintains that like sentimental fluffy layer of goodness. Um, And it's just a really good love story. Yeah. 
and even though i went into this just wanting to see uh chase of win um in a sort of a fluffy romantic drama but then there came all of these other layers and the one that intrigued me the most was the ethical um side of what they were doing and some of those questions were answered in the drama and some of them were not but they uh produced a lot of discussions around the fandom and that was kind of part of the charm of this particular show so my first draw for this show basically is you said you singer and you said uh, chase when knows like i'm in i don't care what it is i'm in um there was this <laughs> point uh, i think it was at the beginning of last year or something where i mean i've se- like i watched uh, arang and the magistrate quite a while ago but i didn't really know who yusungo was then that was a kind of a hey this is a ijinki drama um so i actually after this i went back and watched um arang to just watch his scenes like ooh i know you now um so at one point last year i was watching uh, warrior bektongsu um remember sun's war and imaginary cat all at the same time completely by coincidence so you had like yusungo on three sides and he's really like he's amazing how he like like his level of micro acting is amazing like the eye acting thing and everything um and Chisewin from Sassy Gogo I really liked her character even though many many people didn't um and I haven't seen her in anything since apart from Moonlight which doesn't really count but yeah it didn't matter to me what the concept was because if these two were in it it's going to be great Um what did you guys think of of uh, how Yusungo played uh the character of Kim Mingyu you know this human allergy um IQ sky high yet somehow ridiculously dumb <laughs> Um yeah I um I have this thing from from Korean shows where I call it the male lead character is is you know this emotionally traumatized person who's who's learning how to human and it's like three quarters of the shows have that character and this one is one too so i was trying to work out what really set it apart from all the other ones aside from the really it was really well written but i i think it was him i think he was just so excellent uh in terms of giving so many layers to the character in what you call those micro expressions and i thought that's what really sold it and i think the character itself is very self aware and i think what makes um Kimming you different to your standard genius cold-hearted hero. I mean he's not actually cold-hearted. But what sets him apart is that um he's because he's so isolated that kind of makes him a li- uh very innocent despite being very um what's it called intelligent. Um because there was this big um argument in the fandom and I will defend Mingyu to the death <laughs> where they're like why is the hero so stupid it's not that he's stupid it's just that <laughs> he's been okay he he did like he unbelievably believed things that couldn't have been believed but like there was a reason for that and also I was just rewatching um episode um 27 just before Uh, we started talking you know which is the the hilltop con- the meteor shower conversation that they have and he's like his mm. face palming and his oh my god i can't believe i believed it it's like that level of self awareness that his character has and has had all the way through um uh, mingyu gets criticized a lot um and he always responds to that criticism by analyzing himself and then by changing 
Yeah, and I I kind of, I mean, I wasn't, I just, I marathoned it, like, last week. I wasn't able to watch it during the time when it was airing. It was one of, like, those, I was applying for grad school, and I told myself that I, I was going to save that. <laughs> so I didn't watch it. Um, So I missed the whole, like, fandom discussion, but I have my notes where I'm, like, arguing with myself from, like, the beginning to, like, the end of the drama. In the beginning, I'm like, why do they do this? Why, why is he so stupid? Like, and then I had some other issues, and by the end, I was like, I love this so much. I'm so happy. <laughs> Everything is good. Yeah. But um, I think it also, like, his unbelievable, like, gullible naivete, it kind of also plays into that fairy tale aspect of the drama. He's like this, you know, and a little bit like it's like a little prince. Like, he's very lonely. He relates to the world in, like, his own particular weird kind of way. He doesn't have any, like, friends or family to... He's just been, like, frozen in time. And so it's a little bit more... I mean, he's still kind of a jerk in the beginning, like, slapping everybody with his police baton and stuff. And he's still kind of um, awkward and unbelievable in the beginning. But as you get to know how he's been living his life, it does... And it has this weird thing of, like, she comes to rescue him from his, uh, you know, his lonely tower in the castle. Like, as if he's a princess. So there's that reversal. I like that, too. Yeah, if, if the whole um, modern fairy tale feel was in the beginning. It was really uh, wonderfully done. I mean, it lost that towards the end because the story changed. But the first half of the show had that whole um, that feel, like like you're saying about the whole. What was it Sleeping Beauty? And then it was like Beauty and the Beast, right. and um, and then you had and even, the. Um, go on. Sorry. No, no. Just like when you said Sleeping Beauty, like when she kisses him the first time. He wakes up <laughs> in a way, <laughs> you know, from his from his long dream, of just and he becomes a real boy. I yeah, really yeah, exactly. So you, tales, yeah, but. <laughs> but that's exactly what it was like. It was this process of him becoming, like you say, a real boy, and for the real girl to actually pretend to be the robot. It was like there were all of these reversals and subversions and it just it like it took the familiar and then it put this twist on it which made it so like it, it elevated it from these sort of ordinary storytelling tropes oh and there's one other thing i wanted to add about um you know uh you said that he was such a jerk at the beginning and he was it's true and it made me think of um my sort of early drama watching experiences where you know you don't know who any of the actors are and you're going solely on the story and the character that they're playing um but i i like i realize as i'm watching this that if i didn't have so much affection for using it already i might have hated him a lot more but I'm like, oh, it's Yusungu, it's okay. So, like, your affection for the actors makes you forgive sort of the any egregious behavior in the character. I definitely think that plays into why drama writers feel as if they can make their male characters so unlikable. Yeah. And give up, yeah, especially in the beginning, and trust that that you know the audiences will stick around because they have that love for the actor and you know most of us are women and I do I do because like you don't get female characters who are that unlikable and if and and the rare occasion you do you do get some people being like I can't watch this. This heroine is too unrelatable. She's too unlikable. I can't, you know. So I think that does play into it a little bit. Well, in the case of uh, this story, I think the writers did a pretty good job of establishing that for him, it was a life and death thing. 
so him right. uh, hitting people with a baton was less about him being a jerk and more uh, a self defensive reaction and we could understand I mean, it was hilarious while it was happening and maybe even offensive from the perspective of the person getting beaten up <laughs> especially because the <laughs> perhaps <laughs> maybe, just a little uh, especially because especially because one of the people he he does beat up is Chaso Bin um and that's like you know could have been triggering in so many ways but it just that for him at that moment he could have legitimately died mm-hmm. so you know it's yeah just just that they had established that quickly enough probably got our uh, you know empathy on board yeah i think i had more That's of a so problem true. with him sorry go ahead Oh, I was going to say, I know it sounds bizarre, but this is actually the only thing I've seen him in. Oh. Um, I actually hadn't seen <laughs> him in anything before this. There was no bias there on my part. I had no knowledge of, I know, I know a lot of people were saying that he was good, but I mean, there are so many good actors that, you know, that didn't necessarily mean anything. So, uh, so yeah, I came in it completely fresh. And I think you're right. I think it was the fact that we knew this was a matter of life and death and we knew that he had no one in his life who cared about him other than the butler. Um and that yeah, I didn't really see his behavior as being that I mean it was bad, but it, like wasn't unforgivably bad. It didn't bother think, me that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only like once we do um they do establish this life or death pretty soon, so I didn't have as much of a problem with that, but like when he goes to work and he like fires his em- or like he makes his employee get a pay cut just because he like comes out of of the hall into the hallway and he sees him like that was a little bit I was like come on Oh yeah Th- that that was That's like a size of privilege right yeah. yeah like this is like poor guy who's, but he's do you probably know what like this an is? intern or something you know <laughs> This is this is I'm really happy you mentioned this actually because this is um it's a symptom of how he doesn't see uh, anyone else as a person like no one else they're not people to him they're just threats they're like um indistinct right, threats Right but in episode 1 or 2 yeah you don't know that okay, you just yeah, you don't you don't and that's why like um when you get to that point and you like look at it in retrospect you're like oh I get it now but then like um it reminds me of that um episode where he cooked the meal for for the centimeter team for the scientists and he's like so researcher one researcher two and researcher three and you're like did you really yeah, but by then yeah but by then you kind of have understood so much more about him and you're just kind of feel sorry for him and he is just sad and pathetic and you're like want to pat him on the head and help him to to be like a human so throughout this drama um he kept reminding me of uh so i work with animals um like i i rescue them and there was this uh, dog completely unsocialized pretty much brought up in isolation because of horrible circumstances we don't need to get into um for years for like 5 or 6 he was 5 or 6 years when he was rescued and um he didn't know how to uh, act around other animals or uh, humans were terrifying to him so it was all awkwardness and not even aggression but he was super skittish and wouldn't respond to anything and um so for, for some reason um his character just reminded me of that dog a lot so yeah i literally wanted Aww. to pet him <laughs> right because he he is literally unsocialized he hasn't undergone yeah, exactly. ordinary socialization that uh, human beings 
do because that you know you go to school you meet kids uh you interact with other adults you interact with people on so many different levels and that and you get things wrong at that young age and then you learn like yeah. l- you learn manners basically and you yeah. have this and you develop empathy yeah exactly and yeah he's just been building a house of cards for 15 years like that um, <laughs> the analogy that lee gave i really liked that do you mind sharing that lee um, okay, yeah, well, the House of Cards, um, I thought was really, I think that was when the show, because I was sort of watching it and sort of enjoying it, but I think that was when I really, really got what they were going for and it really sort of got me. That was when I was really on board with the show. Um, so the the House of Cards was, I thought, you know, the the metaphor that underpinned it, that, you know, he started building this House of Cards when his parents died and by the beginning of the show, it was this this huge castle of cards all the way up the wall, and it sort of mirrored that castle that he lived in, um, that almost, as you said, fairy tale castle. And it was this giant facade that he put between himself and the world. And it was so huge that it blocked out the sunrise, sunlight, and so the room that he lived in was dark. And so when Gia arrived, she knocked down his house of cards and uh, at first he was really upset, but then he realised that the hall, the room that he was living in, was now full of sunlight. And I really thought that, that that's the entire show there. You know, his, his life is that house of cards. She brings it crashing down. It's really painful. But in the end, it lets the sunlight in. And so as I was watching the show unfold, I was like, yeah, that, that's basically the whole show right there. And I thought that was really, really simple and beautiful. I think the whole show is just full of those amazing visual metaphors all through it. It's one thing I really love about it. And to bring the level of the conversation down a little bit, that scene was hilarious. Because <laughs> she, she pulls it, she, like, she knocks it down, and then she's like going into standby mode now. <laughs> if only we all had such a convenient way to get out of an awkward situation. Do you know what that reminds yeah, me? Yeah, she Com- pulled that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> completely, um, completely unrelated. But um, uh, my little sister and I was uh, reminiscing about this with her the other day when she was like a toddler, um, like you know, three, four, something like that. Whenever she got into, if she did something naughty, she'd go off and like, uh, she'd go off. And then we'd find her, and she'd be fast asleep. Like, in some corners, she'd just be asleep, and she'd look so angelic, you couldn't get angry with her anymore. And it just really reminded me of that. Aww. That's cute. You know what I realised when I was writing about this? Um, I don't know if our listeners know, but I recapped this show on Rubber Beans. So I've already spent more than 50,000 words talking about this. Um, every time I would come to write sort of the comments of, of the episodes, I'd be like, I'd have a list of, you know, talking about this character, this character, and that character, and I'd sp- end up spending all of my words talking just about Kim Mingyu, um, which I feel like we could actually do right now. So in order not to do that, we're going to move on to Chia Suvin's character, Georgia. Um And her character is really fascinating because... Um, she, uh, apart from, like, Georgia herself, she was actually playing, Chesawin was playing three different roles here. So she was playing the role of RG3, the robot. She was, uh, playing the role of Georgia, the human girl. But then she was also playing a third role, which is Georgia playing robot RG3. Um, what did you guys think of, of how she handled that? I, I thought she was excellent. Yeah. I thought, um, not just the Georgia RG3 thing, but that she could actually play Gia playing RG3, mm-hmm. and that she managed to give all three characters character development, 
which I thought was quite impressive as well, that you could see each of these three different characters she's playing grow and change over the course of the show. And yeah, um, I agree. Sorry, sorry go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. No, I was going to say um, a lot of people I know were very excited about this show because of Yusungo, and I think my level of fandom, like I find him really adorable. I think my level of fandom is not quite as high for him just because I haven't seen him as, maybe because I've watched him in a lot of bad things. So even though I really like him as an actor, that taste kind of lingers. Like I, from I Miss You and um, Operation Proposal and stuff. And then I watched a couple of episodes of Imaginary <laughs> Cat. And I was just like, oh, poor boy, what are you doing? Um, so I, I really like him and I was excited for him. But I, like you said, Saya, um, Chase Ubin was so good in Sassy Go-Go. And I just watched that maybe six or seven months ago. I didn't watch it when it was airing. And she really impressed me. So I had really high expectations. But like you said, Lee, like, she manages to portray these different roles so well like she's so good as a robot and she's distinctly a robot like you don't need to be told who she's being or what she's playing right now she's just so it's like she's playing different characters or she is those different characters i'm sorry um it's not quite at the level of uh jisung in kill me heal me where he just like his eyes change and you know that he's changed his personality oh my god that was yeah. epic. But she does a really good job with this. Um, I was very impressed. What I've um, really found interesting and different about uh, her Jojo character is that for a change, you get this female character. She's an inventor. Um, she's an interesting kind of inventor, but like she's an entrepreneur. Have we ever seen that before? I don't recall seeing that kind of character before. Um, she might, uh, she's not like down, she's not a downtrodden candy in, in that sort of the, the, um, stereotypical mold that you have of, you know, cold, chable, warm candy. So she's not like that. She's just, she's living her own life, doing her own things. And she happens to cross paths with, um, you know, with, uh, um, Yusinger's character. But I just really enjoyed that they gave her such an interesting um, character to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they saddled her with an IQ of, what, 94? 94. What, what was that? Gosh. Uh. <laughs> that annoyed me so much. <laughs> but, it, yeah, but by, hmm. by the end of the show, they made sure that um, it, it was, the message was pretty clear that whatever... Um, they whatever the audience might think of of IQ uh, numbers, it it doesn't actually matter, and that her inventiveness is not caged in by you know an arbitrary math test. <laughs> and that there are yeah, and that there are different types of intelligence, and she has the kind that you can't really measure with a test, but you know mm-hmm. she can figure out like a concept of quantum physics just on her own without studying anything. So that was kind of cool. Like yeah, that. but even beyond quantum physics, just in general, she common she's sense. A pretty competent and smart girl. Yeah, she <laughs> yeah. has common she sense. Is. Yeah. So and then Mingyu has none. Yeah, exactly. IQ <laughs> what does what does your IQ mean if you can't handle basic daily life, right? <laughs> exactly. True. Yeah, it kind of overturns that um, genius male lead trope a little bit. What did you think of the um, relationship between them? Like, did, uh, did you think that they suited each other? With RG3 or with Gia? Uh, actually, both. Up to a certain point, I actually found his uh, relationship with RG3. And, and I know he didn't actually spend much time with the real robot. But, I mean, uh, though 
robotic aspects of this uh, this character that she was pretend playing um his reliance on her and i know that uh, again it, it was more her chingu mode that made you know that made her useful to him uh, so to speak but um his the need in his life for someone like her who would be amenable to him but also teach him the ways of humans uh sort of like gradually instead of um, if it was a real human quote unquote uh, they would expect him to understand things faster whereas because of her robotic uh, well, her, her being a robot a pretend robot fake this is so confusing <laughs> so but we call uh, them so her robotic so but <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 that that aspect of the relationship uh, was really fun to watch because it, it allowed him to gradually um, become more acquainted with the human inside him. <laughs> so yeah, like even before she like uh, she became more Jia than Aji because gradually that does happen. The robot is more human and he just doesn't notice. Mm. But uh, while she's pretending to be more robot, at that point he needs. you know someone in his life who isn't fully human so yeah so although i did find that um that aspect of their early relationship where like she, she's a real woman and we know she's a real woman but because she's playing a robot it's okay for him to like order her around and not care about her physical comfort and eat while she, sit, sitting down eating while she's standing up and watching him and can't eat like i know that he's not really doing anything wrong because she's a robot in his eyes and he's and it's a machine and not a person but i just found the optics and the dynamic a little bit off putting at first and it's not it doesn't make you hate him but i just i don't know like i I'll just read i'm just thinking about women and the kind of roles that women get and how women are treated a lot like i always think about a lot but i've been thinking about even more with everything that's been going on in the culture and in pop culture lately so that kind of give me a little bit of an icky feeling especially because we know by the way he treats his other employees that even if she had been human and under his employ he probably would have treated her more or less the same way Yeah. yeah he would have been ordering her around he would have been eating in front of her without regard to her need for food it's not like he would be a cruel taskmaster but it just wouldn't occur to him to consider her comfort and he so, basically tells her you're a thing that i own and you're precious to me so stay with me for the rest of my life and on one hand it's like you're supposed to think it's really sweet and romantic and on the other hand you're like but she's a girl <laughs> but, <laughs> so that but in fairness that that's um as far as he's concerned she is a, ro- a robot so it's not right i know yeah no it's not it doesn't reflect badly on him mm. but it's just that i was a little bit iffy on the fact that the writing kind of allowed for this dynamic to exist on but screen but i think it had to because um that like you have to have this dynamic in place to to later um sort of overturn it and especially yeah, because they needed the dynamic to exist for the rest of the team to also feel icky about it and try to get the girl out right that's true that's true i do think that the drama sets up a lot of um, morally ambiguous and uncomfortable things in the first half which i was like unsure whether they were going to deal with them but i was pretty satisfied with how they dealt with them in the latter half 
So yeah, Lee, go there, ahead. There was a yeah, there was a point at the um at sort of oh, I can't remember actually exactly what point it was when they'd really set up these relationships, particularly with women, that I at the time thought I think this is deliberate, and then it turned out it was actually deliberate. They were making. They were making, I think, some really, really interesting and quite profound statements about gender in this, but I don't want to get too carried away with that. Can you get a bit more specific? Because I I do want to hear it. Okay. um, So, so yeah, at the beginning, they they set up these these female characters and their relationships with men. And when, when the show begins, you've got, we've got this much older man, and he's sort of entranced by this very childlike woman who's much younger than him. And um, when she, you know, shows autonomy and breaks it off with him... Just to clarify, are we talk- oh, right, okay. So Um Ki-jun, who was uh, the Professor Hung Baek-yoon. Okay, carry on. Yeah, so then he builds this this obedient, docile robot version of her. Yeah. And then we have Min-kyu, who can only handle people that he can completely control... And he becomes obsessed with this robot because he's too scared of a real woman, basically. And the whole pretty thing is just outstandingly sexist. You know, the fact that all of his machines are are female and they're all called pretty and they all have a hierarchy. And, um, you know, we'll probably get to it later, but there's some really interesting stuff on why AI is female, and this was clearly sort of referencing that. Uh, And then we had Gia's brother. And, um, you know, they say he, he was sent to university instead of her because he was a man. So his success is because he received preferential treatment for being born a man. And, um, you know, whenever he can't control her or she's not not conforming to what he thinks he should she should be, he gets angry at her and he wields financial control over her to try and force her to do what he wants. He even throws her out of the house, you know, all of those sorts of things. And... Um, and, yeah, so I really felt like, and that's before we even get to to the issues around real. And, uh, yeah, so I thought it was all of these, these women being treated like commodities um, in a show called I'm Not a Robot, which I just mm. thought was, you know, that, that it was deliberate. Yeah. Yeah, and I was hoping that it would be deliberate, but I've been let down so many times before that I was trying not to <laughs> expect that. Because we've started, I mean, with Korean dramas, like a lot of times we're like, ooh, are they doing this on purpose? Ooh, this could be going somewhere interesting. And then it's just, nope, it's just a regular <laughs> rom com with entrenched gender roles and, you know, there's nothing new or there's nothing, you know, subversive about it. So, yeah, you're right. Well, it, they did a really good job with that. Probably the biggest example of that would be uh, uh, Strong Woman Dobong Soon. Oh, oh, no. What God. Strong Woman. Yeah. Right. yeah. That show made But I'm, I'm already getting angry just hearing the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a yeah. show that yeah. had a really wonderful romance, except everything else about it was terrible. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I know a lot of people who watch Strong Women were watching this, like, with sinking hearts, like, being prepared to be let down, just like Anissa. Um, and then it turned out not to be that show, and it was great. It's even, like, to the... Um, uh, extent of they had this completely random storyline in Strong Woman. Sorry, we're like digressing a little bit, but um, 
with the gangsters, which was just the most stupid, pointless, unentertaining <laughs> segment <laughs> ever. And, but, yeah, there, but there were so many things like that. <laughs> yeah, there were. But like in Robot, when we had, you know, the, the two sort of faux gangsters, and I called them Curly and Brains, um, we had those two, <laughs> and I was like, is this going to be like Strong Woman again? Because I can so do without that. But they turned out to be really quite... It was a, quite a sweet storyline, and it was funny. And I think it was um, because I suppose there was more restraint in it. They didn't go all out for some big gags. They they actually gave them a little emotional weight. Like you had that point where Curly is like, no one's ever told me that they're interested in me before. And you actually feel something for him. This sort of simple, mm. um, not quite gangster, but, you know, it's just these very simple... Um, guys, millions. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we just we did a couple of second, uh, seconds minutes ago. We briefly touched on um the professor, but um on Onki Jun's role in general. What what do you guys think as an actor? Uh, uh, his role. Well, as an actor and uh as um as this specific character, because what I found was among all of the characters apart from Mingyu. I found that he, I was most satisfied with his development because um, I think he changed the most. So what but he started from the lowest point. Yeah, like, he I, really I know did. That our hero, um, ostensibly, um, um, was the worst, so to speak, character. But but he didn't um, make a robot with his ex-girlfriend's face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's not just that, but uh, this guy. I guess it is that um, the professor <laughs> is supposedly a socialized, well-educated man, mm. uh, unlike our hero who never had the same opportunity and, and has been uh, dealing with a debilitating uh, allergy for you know his entire life. So mm. yeah, and he also knows that she's a real woman, and he still exactly. treats her like that. <laughs> oh my god, that was, it just you know generally just so creepy. Yeah. Super, super creepy. You know, I actually Super didn't creepy. find it that creepy. I I found it sad rather than creepy. Because I felt like... I, I think you're attributing too much emotional maturity to him when you say he's creepy. Because there are people who are saying, oh, like, oh, she's a sex robot. No, she wasn't. He was not anywhere near that level. He was still at that level of not being able to emotionally handle a relationship that had ended and why it had ended. No, I don't think... I, I don't think it was a sex robot uh, aspect that... Uh, uh, you know, was creepy for me. It's it's the obedience aspect. Like yeah. he th- and and he really harped on it. Like right. RGT is so robot, uh, so obedient. <laughs> Why can't you be that obedient? Right. No. Just- so there was there was that, and there was the whole the fact that at one point he he. Um, when Gia was playing um, RG3, where he wasn't even distinguishing between Gia, um, wh- like he he treated Gia like she was RG3, like he couldn't. Um, exactly. Get his mind out of the robot game, um, but yeah. rather than and creepy, he keeps telling I found Minkyu, that sad. Like, don't touch her. Don't touch her. <laughs> as if he owns her. You yeah, know? right. Like, right. That was very. Oh, that was so annoying. Yeah. But but that was immediately offset by the Gia going. Um, why are you deciding who gets to touch my body or not? It's my body. <laughs> like it dealt with those things yeah. really quickly. That was good. It did. It did. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we've talked about the three main characters. Uh. We've more or less talked about RG3, although before we go into the technology part, um, RG3 <laughs> as a character herself, I really wanted to get a bit more. We got a, a really uh-huh. little bit at the end, at the very end, about RG3 as yeah, a but sort that was of... Lovely. 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, I wanted to have. I kind of wanted to see her go rogue, and I was a yeah, little so bit. I, I, go on, I, go I was on. unhappy. I, I was unhappy. Like hell, three thousand <laughs> straight kill everybody. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> okay, not not that joke. But um, I, was, you know, turning into a real girl aspect, and like you know, it just I wish they didn't have to put her to sleep, so to speak. It was, that was just. But I I did understand that they could not go on with RGT still having Gia's face. But uh, still, why did they have to? Like they took all all that they learned from her and that then went on to create a different robot. But I don't know. Somehow that that just made me super super sad. That was uh, that was the one thing that the one thing the one plot point around about the show that really really disappointed me. And I was expecting a lot more, which again I shouldn't have because, as you say, it's it's it was a rom com. So, but. Um, but when RG3 uh, rescues herself from the military uh, mm-hmm. and then goes out and, like, let's go home and she's got this badass look on her face and, you know, she's <laughs> she's out of here, she's going home. I was so excited by that and I spent the whole week just, just going, let's go home because I just <laughs> thought it was this amazing, amazing cry of, like, self-determination and this is, this is my life. And then she just sort of meandered around and then went home and then they scrapped her. And I just couldn't work out exactly what they were saying with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I almost, I feel like um, maybe they felt that if they gave her that journey or that self-determination, then it would be a different drama, maybe one that where she was the main character. But I don't necessarily think that would be true. Like you could still have the rom-com and have, you know, Gia as the main protagonist and they could have still given her more of a journey or they could have just like saved her personality and put her into a computer where she could still interact with them and then use that like knowledge that they learned and just make the other robot. But then they would still have a G3 and she would still have her memories of them. You know, I don't know. Then they could, she could have stayed around. Like she could have been their like lab assistant. Oh, no, I'm because, sad now. Uh, now I'm sad too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ending they gave us, it, it was really melancholy. If you think about it, they basically emphasize that an object is an object. Uh, it, it, it'll never be human. Or they would not have been able to let her go. Mm, that's yeah. true. But then, like Anissa says, uh, it would have been... The thing is, I think that by sort of deleting her personality and therefore her existence, that was perhaps the only way they could address the breach of confidentiality that um, they had, uh, that they um, subjected uh, Mingyu to. Um, That was the atonement and that was the price that the team had to pay for what they did to him. But it didn't feel feel like the team was playing... It felt like we were all losing a team member, right? And they felt that way too. Like, RG3 had become a member of their family. But why does Gia have to pay the price of their mistakes? I felt like that's what it was. Gia or RG3? Sorry. Yeah, RG3. It feels (laughs) like RG3 ended up having to pay the price because they didn't do a good job of, like, being good human beings. 
the the team essentially just got like awesome jobs and they could do whatever they wanted like basically they got rewarded for what they did in the end i don't think their punishment was sufficient for what they had done and they felt sorry for the wrong thing it was the the ethical breach that they had committed it, it just they didn't seem to realize what a huge deal that was how violated uh, they had made uh when you feel it it just and and the show didn't like the, the minkyu's character uh kind of uh like but then again his reaction was attributed so much to his heartbreak that that it wasn't clear how you know angry he was about the the uh footage existing and that they had been basically eavesdropping on all of his interactions and all of that and how angry he was about uh jia's life so that was not He, yeah, that was not separated, so we could never figure out if he was actually angry about the breach or not. So, I agree. I seem to remember that there was a point where uh, I think he was suing them for um, for that. But then he made up with Jia, so he decided not to sue them. He, essentially, the show focused on his heartbreak more than you know the 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 fact that he couldn't trust these people anymore. It's and he couldn't trust them because they had taken his friend away essentially mm. It, and and not so much because of all of the clearly unethical things that they had done concerning privacy i don't think they focused uh, solely on his heartbreak they did have a strong focus on it but they did also focus on uh, how betrayed he felt by the team but you are right in that um that they didn't specifically and sufficiently address how they violated his privacy it was yeah, addressed very vaguely in passing yeah and and it was more than the privacy even it was uh, i mean it, along with the heartbreak rather than the privacy they talked about how he could have died and how they were putting yeah. his life in danger mm-hmm. and he felt very betrayed by that as well the lies and the fact that they took that risk with his health and with his well-being and the privacy just didn't it kind of just faded into the background didn't address it properly. Lee, do you have any thoughts? I sort of felt like he associated Gia's behavior with the rest of the team and then once he he forgave Gia, he sort of also forgave everybody. Once he was able to forgive her, then everyone else sort of got forgiven as well. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I was actually under the impression that uh, Gia had known about all of that. So I'm actually glad that the show did clarify later that Gia had no idea that they were doing um a lot of uh the background stuff that they were doing either. I mean, that's that's true and that made me more sympathetic to her once everything came out, but there were some times where like especially that scene when they go on that, you know, the the date where her and uh, Bekyun are kind of following him on his date with Yeriel and after they the other two leave they're holding the umbrella and then she kisses him and the aftermath of that first i was i was like very i was like what do you think you're doing <laughs> what do you think is going to happen now but then like i i was a little bit put off by how excited and happy she was after the kiss because i was like don't you realize like like what do you like don't you feel disturbed about the fact that you're like you have a crush on this guy and you have good feelings but you're lying to him in such a significant and important way i i don't know like i i guess i wanted her to have more gravity about the situation and feel the conflict of it more instead of just being like giddy and excited and then like pretending 
And then the next day, like, she pretends like she doesn't remember or she deleted it or whatever. And he's, like, clearly a little bit tormented about the fact that a robot kissed him and he had feelings about it. And she's just like, I don't know, I deleted it. I don't know, I deleted it. And then they played off this, like, like this um, push and pull, like, dating relationship games. And then, like, her best friend is giving dating advice. I, just, I don't know. I just that that kind of... I wasn't so on board with that tone. I think, for me, that... Um, I didn't have a problem with that because, like, for her, she, it was real. She was experiencing it um, as as a, a giddy girl, um, and it just didn't occur to her what he would be going through because of that. Because he'd kissed a robot, she'd kissed the guy she had a crush on. Um, True. And because in her mind, she was like, she's going to confess um, pretty soon as yeah. well. And then that confession ended up being delayed because of. Or rather, just being stopped altogether because because she found out the truth about his allergy being, you know, him having the human allergy and everything. Because all this time she yeah. didn't realize how serious it was, and the second she does, she absolutely withdraws and she gives up. Um, she gives up her uh, hopes of of being with him in any way. But I think what I had an issue, like I agree with you, that's true. But I think my issue was that it just. Um, I was a little bit disappointed by how long it took her to start feeling bad about the fact that she was deceiving him. Because, like, in the beginning, she, you know, she goes in there with a purpose, and he's treated her so horribly that she feels completely justified in lying to him and just, you know, like, using him, like, taking that letter and trying to put it in front of him and try to convince him to make the invention test, like, happen again, the contest. Um, but, like, she, she finds out pretty early on about his life and what he's been through and that he's not actually a bad guy. And so for me, I just, I wished that she would have thought about, oh, I, I feel bad about this. I really want to tell him the truth a little bit earlier. I think they didn't, um, they didn't do such a good job of, um, sort of heightening the tension in, in that part. Like it was probably a little too focused on sort of the potential romance. Lee, what did you think? I think that the test was always imminently going to end. It just kept getting extended um, because they were having problems fixing RG3. So she was going to tell him, you know, in a few days. And then it was, oh, I'll tell him in a week. Uh, and she always thought that there was this this end period to it. And then by the time she suddenly realised what it was she was actually doing, she was in, you know, really, really deep. Mm. And I think that her judgment was clouded by the fact that she was just so much in love with him. I mean, that was pretty obvious pretty much after the umbrella kiss, that after that she was just head over heels and she wasn't thinking rationally. That's true. What did you guys think of Mingyu's breakdown when he discovers that she's human, that scene? Do you mean the fight scene? Yeah. The scene when they had the fight? The yeah. scene where he finds out or mm -hmm. the scene where no, they um, had the fight? Where they had the, where, where he, um, one-sided fight, but yeah. Yeah, the one where he's he's yelling at her? Yes. At his house. The ones where he, he breaks the glass. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Okay, out. that's right. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, so she's late because she fell off her, her she fell off her bike. Yeah. Um, and was injured, and then they, then he, he just basically yells at her for ten minutes and throws the glass and gets cut. And yeah, that, that was um, a lot of people had a lot of problems with that scene. 
with the things that he said and with the fact that she got injured after it. So um, I personally thought that um, I personally love that scene. It's really hard to watch, but I actually really love it because I just think it's the fact that she does not defend herself at any point during that thing. There are a million things she could say to him to defend herself, but she doesn't. She just lets him get it all out. And I think that's because she just knows him so well that she knows that this is what he actually needs to do so that he can move past it. And so she just stands there and she doesn't say, I'm late because I fell off my bike or I'm injured or, you know, no, that was – she doesn't say anything. She just lets him, you know, yell at her for the whole time. And I thought it was hugely powerful scene, but I know some people had problems with it. Yeah, I, I didn't really have any issues with it either, although I wish that he had noticed that she had gotten injured, but I guess – I don't know that he wasn't in that headspace at that moment. I liked that he he let his emotions out in front of her, though. Finally, I felt like for him as a character, his his natural instinct was to hide. That's mm. what he usually did when something happened that he was that you know he was upset about. He'd hide, and that was what he tried to do. But he like he couldn't do it this time. He couldn't hide this time, and so he actually goes out and confronts her. So as, as difficult as it was, I thought that it actually showed a, quite a lot of growth as a character. Yeah, that's true. I agree. I, th- I feel like um, that he had two conflicting instincts there because, uh, Lee, like you say, his uh, initial instinct in the past has been to hide. But I think since RG3 has been in his life, uh, that instinct has turned to turning to her. So whenever he had something that upset him or something he wanted to talk about or something that made him happy, his, uh, he had this new outlet of, of being, of talking to her, of being able to go to her. So for him, it was the most natural thing at that point in, in his character development. It was the most natural thing for him to, um, though she is the source of his upset, she's also the source of his comfort. Um, and though he does not receive comfort in that scene, um, it made complete sense in his character that it had to be her that he talked to. And for me, the reason for Gia's silence, um, I, I did come across um, your understanding of that, uh, Lee, your understanding of that scene. A lot of people uh, agreed with that, but I personally thought that it was that she didn't say anything because she felt she was indefensible. Like she didn't defend herself because she saw herself as blameworthy and she could have said any number of things, but she didn't believe them because she believed that she was responsible for, for, for doing this to him. And therefore she deserved um, all of his anger. And like in the whole show, I I think that single scene is the most powerful scene of the entire show. It's amazing. I completely agree. I I don't know if I'd call it my favourite scene because you've got the meteor scene, but it's certainly definitely the most powerful. Yeah, definitely the one that really uh, comes to my mind when someone asks me about the best scene in the show. That's the one that, that leaps to my brain. Mm. I, I, I don't know. For me, it's kind of tied with the moment where he says goodbye to IG3 because oh, there's yeah. so much going on under the surface that is, like, there's so many amazing lines that are said but then there's also so much that's unsaid and in the subtext and 
that, you know, Gia is unable to express because she's pretending to be Aji 3 and just the way that he says goodbye to her. Oh, my God. And the you way she, right. she, she doesn't let her cry <laughs> until he's, you know, got her in his arms and he's not looking at her anymore. It's just both of them did such an amazing job in that. Yeah. And, I mean, props to Chase Ubin for, like, playing a girl pretending to be a robot in such a convincing way. I I was very, very blown away by that. Yeah, because they're like the both of those scenes are so emotionally charged. Like, yes. like you said, there's so I much going breathing. on. I was, <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Since we're um here, I want to ask you guys about your favorite scenes throughout the show. I have one. <laughs> Only one. Okay. Um. Well, this is probably my favorite scene. It's when they meet on the rooftop. I mean, not not on the rooftop, on the mountaintop on mm. the day of the meteor shower, and they have that conversation where he finally decides that he's gonna talk to her, and like that. I I think he goes there already deciding to forgive her, and he just asks her all this stuff, and he's like, "Tell me about all the moments, but tell me what you were actually feeling." Not as Aji 3, but as yourself. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> and then all the times when she's like, I couldn't believe you were that stupid. <laughs> he's like, face bombing. He's like, I'm not even stupid. She's like laughing at him. He's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, tell me more. And then he's like, stop. Not that much more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she's like, he's meant to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And then, but, and then they, you know, they take a turn to a really emotional place. and And yet he's still thinks that he can't touch even though he's forgiven her like he's afraid that he won't be able to touch her so like he tries to leave and then and then she's like I don't care I love you and then they kiss and and even like he kisses her thinking that it's gonna hurt him but he does it anyway oh it was so great but it's like I also um like his whole grand exit thing it's like it's 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 uh moving powerful moment and it's like this uh, aching goodbye and two seconds later she's like oi where are you going how dare you come back here right now and you and that completely yeah, undercuts after all this <laughs> and it just great. yeah it completely undercuts yeah. the ser- that sort of the the um what is it called the mellow uh the melodrama of his of his farewell and but I think it was just general, it was great. she does that. Yeah, exactly, and that's what's great about her. She turns melodrama. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's like this tragic hero that's been brooding in a castle, and, and she's, she's like, like nowhere in a rom com. You know, damn you. Yeah, like Heathcliff or something. And she's just like yeah, chinga mode, and she starts like swearing at him and makes him laugh, and and then he just he starts he starts laughing. He can't keep his seriousness anymore. And you know great. what was so great afterwards is um when they've put this behind them that they can joke about it. Like there was that scene where he's in his car and he's like chinga mode, and then she's like. All right then, like throws her head back and crosses one leg over the other, and she's like, "So." <laughs> and that it, was so cute. It was so fun, and like I was um before before they had this resolution, um I was talking to my sister about this because both of us, my sister, you, uh, you have to understand everything turns into a story about my sister. She doesn't watch uh dramas to completion. Um, she has this point in dramas which is like episode twelve. Where even if she's into it, she can't watch it anymore and she'll just drop it. Um, but she watched this one beginning to end, which is almost unheard of for her. Um, and I was just saying to her, um, do you think that they'll have these scenes where they sort of um, act like uh, like she's RG3 again? And she's like, no, that would be too weird. And then they gave it to us and I was so happy. 
But I'm glad that they gave it to us because there is a scenario in which a relationship that started in these kind of circumstances where the man thinks a girl is a robot and orders her around could go very wrong later on. Like you could get into these kind of like harmful relationship patterns that even if you love each other, you might fall back into those later. So I'm glad that they kind of dealt with that and showed that they do have like a healthy relationship and they show them like two years later and. Although we didn't get much of the two years later, but I have two questions. Uh, the first is: uh, Was it ever acknowledged by Minhu um, that his allergy was because of his trust issues? Because um, he had been touching uh, Gia slash uh, well the RG three for you know a whole month and nothing had happened. And the moment he found out, he had he broke out in whatever that was that covered him so uh did he did he know that it was because he had lost his trust in her is that why he thought he couldn't touch her again yeah but extrapolating from that if once he forgives her uh, could wouldn't he have like it, it wouldn't he have at least asked himself that if i start trusting her again maybe you know i'll be able to touch her again wouldn't that just be like a normal uh, assumption to make. Okay, so there's a difference here between um, what uh, Ming- uh, what Mingyu thinks of his illness and what the rest of us know, and also what the doctor tells him. So Mingyu thinks, mm. uh, or rather, his doctor tells him that this has a psychological root, uh, but uh, Mingyu views it in a much more physiological way. So he sees it as um, like just a literal human allergy, though. He so when he um, first meets RG three the robot because she's human shaped he he thinks she's a human but then he touches her and nothing happens uh, and so that sets the foundation for how he continues to see her in the future which is as a robot so that primes him for um, treating all future interactions with RG three or anything that resembles RG three. Um, as a robot, so he's tricked his brain. His brain has been thoroughly tricked. Trusting her, so is kind of, I guess, an antihistamine. <laughs> it it suppresses his allergy. Um, but then when he's betrayed again, and r- this is how his allergy began in the first place, um, which was through you know the betrayal that he experienced as a child. So when he's betrayed yeah. again, he sort of resets his illness to the original allergy level which is what happens when he meets Gia on the beach and finds out that she's um, really RG3. Um, so at that point, he's, um, what's it called? He he surrenders to the fact that his illness is insurmountable. That's why he doesn't also, think that he will then be cured afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I feel like, honestly, the... the allergy thing and the way it works I just kind of took that on suspension of disbelief for the most part because it's kind of ridiculous it doesn't make any sense (laughs) as someone who has had life-threatening allergies and who's dealt with like my skin flaring up in really horrifying ways like that was I was just kind of rolling my eyes at it a little bit (laughs) because you just have to kind of you just go with it you know like that's part of the premise it's it's crazy it's ridiculous but it's it's fine whatever but I think um it is the 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 only thing that I found quite realistic is when he talks to um, 
I think this is after he's already forgiven Gia and he realizes even though he can touch her and be okay and everything, like if she's not in front of him, mm-hmm. he'll still have that reaction to people's touch. Mm-hmm. It's like right after they've reconciled when they stop the on the coffee, side of the road and he like, yeah. buys something. Yeah, and he touches the cashier's hand. And and then he has this conversation with his doctor and his doctor says, don't think of yourself as having been cured. Just think of your illness as something that you're going to have to make into your friend and take along with you in your life. And it's going to mm-hmm. flare up at times and it, it's going to go away mm-hmm. at times. And, and, and don't try to like escape from it, you know, just accept it. And like, that's, if you live with chronic illness, um, that's what you have to do. You know, like you just have to kind of be like, okay, this is part of my life. It's probably always going to be part of my, like you can't live with that expectation. Like I'm going to get cured one day because it's, miserable you you just have to be like okay how do I manage this like how do I have a normal life and deal with this and still function and you know have relationships and be happy and, and like hopefully you can get to that point depending on how severe it is so I, I really liked that part of it but it mm. is an unbased premise it's kind of it's, it's ridiculous so I didn't worry too yeah, much about but- those mechanics and and why it worked or didn't work but on that note, and think- talking about how um um, talking about how how he treated RG3, Gia, the Phobot, when uh, when he first got her and how that could progress further on. There was a scene in the final episode where he has to go to the press conference. I think it was a press conference, something public anyway. And she says to him, do you want me to come with you, you know, so that you can manage the allergy? And he says, no, you don't need to come with me. I'm going to do it by myself. And that was actually, and it was really small throwaway line, but I actually loved that. It was basically him going, no, I can drag a robot around everywhere, but you're a person, so I'm not going to treat you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to learn how to manage this on my own. And I actually really like that. I did too. I really love that moment too. And also that for him it wasn't that it was her physical presence that was necessary. It was the assurance and the security that he got from her being in his life because he imagines her there. Um yeah. So it's really, it is psychological, and he was coming to understand that. So that was a good resolution. Well, uh, my second question was, well, do you think he got enough uh, time with Gia, like to develop a, a relationship with human Gia when he knows that she's human? I think all of his time with uh, Phobot Gia was time with human Gia. No, yeah. while he while, while he knows that she is human, because Fobo Gia could never be fully Gia. She was always pretending, like half of her was always pretending. I think she it's pretty much she had emotional. <laughs> yeah. I felt like she was her, herself most of the time, even when no, she so was. No, I, I think the way they dealt with it was that he knew both halves of her. He knew the entrepreneur, the faceless entrepreneur. Uh, who had snatched his necklace away? He he knew her and he would talk to her on the phone. And uh, then there was uh, Gia, sort of in front of him, half robot, um, sort of half ro- obedient and half not. So the uh, the way the writing was done was that the whole of her was in his life, but just in sections. Yeah. Uh, and when she when he got to know who she was and what those various parts of her were when they came together and she was whole uh, before him. Do you think, like, for us to... Uh, personally, I thought that they did a really good job of that, the transitioning between uh, 
the sort of like the lies and the fakeness and to how jia actually is in real life that was done pretty well and it was probably done mostly through uh, the moments when um she was still apologizing for what she had done because so much of her real character and her heart was evident through her gestures um, yeah and he already knew her as these four different people right there was <laughs> yeah. the there was the ant i mean there was there was the robot ig3 gia then there was the girl on the phone who was always like uh you know that she's such a yeah relationship but he thought she was his only like person to call and he was like i can't so much just like what <laughs> <laughs> why are you telling me this and then like his embarrassment when he finds her later then there's um the the girl in the wig that uh made the the heart balls at the contest and he talks to her and he's really impressed and she tells him about his her dad and everything and then there's the person whose rice ball he ate um that yeah. you know like she tells him about her aunt and how lonely she was and then he eats and it's the first thing that he eats that's been cooked by another person and it's a really emo- important emotional moment for him i really love that he met like all of these members of like you know unknowingly the other the only other person that he trusted was her brother um and that it was his uh it was her niece that um moved him to to eat this rice ball um and like the interactions that he had with the niece were just hilarious they they were such great scenes uh, and then the part where he suddenly realizes um hold up here this guy that uh, is in Jim, uh, Jinbei uh um Jia's oppa she realizes that the person he's been rude to all this time is actually now going to be his like older brother-in-law so <laughs> he's like that that whole that scene where he just totally face palms and is like oh, why have you been living your like life like this all this time kimmy <laughs> <laughs> it was such a great scene <laughs> I think I probably rewound that like six times just to see him say that line. How indeed have you lived your life? You can just see him doing the math, just <laughs> quietly doing the math. As <laughs> the realization comes over his face, and he's just like, "Oh, this is going to be my brother-in-law." <laughs> That's such a great job acting in that moment. Like he doesn't have to say much, and you can just see it all on his face. You're right. Why do you think Jia uh, fell in love with Minkyu? How could how could she not? No, but but look, she's not seeing everything we are seeing. What she was mostly seeing, uh, like at least in the initial stages. I mean, yes, yeah, she actually explains how and why she fell in love. Um, I know that. But um, you, you remember there was that moment when she was telling him that uh, basically he was the first one to uh, believe in her. like think that she's worth something that what she has created is worth something that umbrella scene where he's raving about who invented the umbrella and their genius and he wants to meet them that was when she fell that's why but she kissed him i think she him. liked him yeah yeah but i think she actually is a very uh, actually very warm caring person i think she felt a lot of empathy for him before that and i think it started with feeling It sounds awful to say feeling sorry for him that sounds really no, patronizing but, but the thing is there's a point where you cross from sympathy yeah because sympathy isn't love right so you can have sympathy oh. and not be in love with someone she had sympathy for him but that t- that uh, crossed over into love because of the appreciation that he showed towards her as in he saw her where everyone in her life wouldn't like they didn't uh give her apart from Sonia uh, her best friend no one else would give her the time of day they wouldn't 
they didn't recognize her personhood and the things that she did as having meaning. And here was someone, uh, not only did he see her as she was in as far as he could, um, to be fair, um, but like the real her, the real her was in, in her inventions. Without mm. knowing and, and who it's... she was, he had so much, um, like, like they touched him on a level in exactly the way she hoped to touch people. And also he's really handsome, which is the first thing she notices about him the first time she meets him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And especially in a society where you, the, the accepted and the praiseworthy, you know, path for your life is to do really well academically, get a good job in a big company. Um, and, and, you know, and just, make that the track for your life but you know like she doesn't have a high iq clearly she didn't do well academically in school so she's probably been hearing this kind of abuse like you're dumb you're not worth anything like her whole life in school and then once she gets out she doesn't get the kind of support like she was saying to her brother she's like when you were um going to school like our parents were still around or whatever like you got to get all that financial support but she's like now it's my turn aren't you going to support me and he's like no just go to job interview and and get a job and like I'm not here to support your dreams. So, like, she kind of has to, yeah, she's been just dealing with that. And so even in society, she's one of those, like, non-people who doesn't have a job and therefore has no value, apparently. So um, there was one conversation, like, we've talked a lot about the main characters, but there was one conversation between um, Sunhei, the best friend, and um, I think it was Hotel and Sanip. The two male lab assistants in the team. I think everybody else was out of town. I think it's during the time where Gia has like run away to the island, and then Minky is stalking her. Which that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that was weird. Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't enjoy the fact they turned him into a stalker. But anyway, but they have this conversation about, and she asks them like, "Why didn't you?" Um, and he still doesn't. This is when he still hasn't found out the truth. And they're still doing this, like, we're never going to let him know. They can never see each other again. We're just going to pretend like she was a robot and she's gone and it's over. And and Sonia says, like, wh- why didn't you just, like, didn't you believe that the trust that he had, because it was the trust that he had for IG3 that made him heal and get better and become, like, more like a real person. She's like, didn't you trust that his love and trust for you guys would overcome the betrayal or is that just, you just didn't have that much trust in him. And she was like, what if, like, he was like, well, there's a chance. And she's like, well, if there's a chance, even like a 5% chance or a 1% chance, the doctor will still operate because there's a chance of saving that person's life. And Hotel is like, yeah, but we're not a doctor. We're his family. And we don't want to take that chance. And I just really liked that conversation. And it, and it gave you a really good idea of like, kind of where those characters were coming from and how they had come to sort of be so interconnected with each other through that time that they had spent together. And it was really kind of bittersweet and sad and made me cry a little bit. I liked that moment. Yeah, I really love that the relationships in the end, were, it wasn't all about Ji and Mingyu. It was about this family that he'd gained. And it wasn't like one family, it was three families. Because, like, in, in the course of, of what he's, uh, what's been happening to him, he, he's gained a family in the scientists, the Santa Maria team, who come to know him and love him, and he comes to trust them. Um, there's the family that he, uh, Gia's family, um, 
which is nerve-wracking for him, yet it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to him. Uh, and then there's his childhood friends. Um, we haven't really talked much about them, um, but he reconciles with them as well. And he, and he sort of grows up from that uh, eight or nine-year-old kid um, who's stuck in a, a, a time uh, warp and unable to move on from his relationships with them, and he reconciles with them too. So, yeah, like, yeah it was a, a really... A really wonderful evolution of relationships for him. And um, there's this conversation that he has with Butler Sung. And Butler, it's after everyone's Oh, kind of the porcupine, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, have you have you ever heard the story of the hedgehogs? And he's like, what? <laughs> and, he go, and he says, you know, the hedgehogs, they tried to hug each other, but they pricked each other with their spines. Oh, no, because they were cold. They moved together, but they pricked each other with their spines, so they moved apart again. But they were too cold and lonely, so they decided to just put up with the pain. And I really liked how this drama's theme is about how, like, it's worth loving people and having people in your life, even if it causes a little bit of pain, because it's worth it. Whereas, like, you know, for example, when we talked about secret, it's, like, love is indistinguishable from pain. <laughs> and the fact that you're feeling pain is the opposite kind of conversation. And it's a very uplifting and... Um, a really nice concept like it's not a whole totally sentimental like as long as you're in love it solves all your problems kind of thing but it's like and it's not just romantic love but it's that love is worth the emotional um, distress that it comes with it and he has to understand that in order to have relationships because otherwise he just won't be able to handle being around people he'll just break out literally in hives last word is Tilda <laughs> <laughs> So I just want to say Lee, here. Why don't you take okay, in fact, I will let Lee take that because I want to talk about um, her t-shirts, but she can talk about them. Yeah. So I watched that episode where they find out that Tilda is is evil, evil Tilda, and uh, I jumped online afterwards, you know, to talk to people about the episode because I thought it was really good, and just the whole internet was just cursing Curse you, Tilda. Tilda. <laughs> Curse you, Tilda. And and and. Words that are harsher than that, harsher than curse you, were used against poor Tilda. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, is that really the most important part of this episode <laughs> was, was was Tilda's perfidy? And, uh, you know, Tilda, I think she clocks up a full two seconds in the show in terms of her cameo. Uh, but, yeah, just for the whole rest of the show, just people cursing Tilda and uh, – <laughs> And I, yeah, it was just such an interesting phenomenon that everyone blamed Tilda, not not the team for lying to him or Gia for <laughs> lying to him or the ethics issues or the any of that. No, it was it was Tilda's fault. It, it all happened because Tilda, of Tilda. threatened our romance. That's the important thing. She threatened our romance, and we thought it might not happen because of her. <laughs> Just when it was all about to get cleared up. Um, although, by the end, there were a lot of alternate theories floating around. Like, Johnny was not dead, and Tilda had been framed, and the doctor did it. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was a lot going on. I totally missed all the discussion around this drama, because I just never thought of that. It was just well, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it got pretty fun. Um... So I, I guess we've pretty much covered um, everything we wanted to cover. Is there anything else that you guys want to add before we finish? Um, I would like to just 
show um, talk about how um, the first time we meet Mingyu in the beginning of the drama, he's going in for I think the third time to get examined for the military because they don't believe him every time when he says I'm allergic to humans. They're like, Psh, whatever. And so he goes and he takes his injection with him, and you know he makes physical contact and he has this horrible reaction. Um, and the last moment when we see him, he's coming back from his, you know, two-year military deployment, and he's done the thing that is kind of the rite of passage for every South Korean man, and he's he's done it, and he finished, and he's healthy, and he comes home, and his girlfriend waited for him for, you know, the whole time, and it's just a really nice way of showing how... Everything's come full circle. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's able to live, and it's like these normal things that most people take for granted or are even annoyed by, but for him, it's such a huge deal that he's able to do these regular, ordinary, and even unpleasant things. And it makes him feel like a real person. And I really thought that was a nice note to leave it on. Um, Barma, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered everything. I could go on about how cute those two were together, but I don't think that's what you're asking for here. <laughs> for days. <laughs> well, the <laughs> thing is, we need, we need to let Lee go to sleep. So I want to... Let Lee have the last word here because um, I want to know. I want you to give us the last, the sort of the closing thought on what made it so special. What makes it different from an ordinary rom com and from anything else we've watched? Why is this the show that's going to stay with you? Hopefully, um, yeah. that's not an easy question. To <laughs> but I think I find this thing with uh, with a lot of shows is that they they have this really sort of complex conflict that underpins it and then at some point in the show they go that's too hard and they just drop it and pretend or pretend it doesn't exist or they they have a time jump and it was resolved off screen and I think what I really loved about this was that it never shied away from actually dealing with that conflict and it got really ugly you know at times um but those scenes, as we've already said, they were the most powerful ones because they're actually, you know, this, these are issues that if we want to have a relationship, we actually have to deal with this. It's not just like we're destined, we're an OTP, we're going to be together forever. It's all sort of rainbows and puppies. It's like, no, we actually have these issues. We're going to have to deal with them if we want to have a relationship. And I think that uh, that, that is one of the things that I really, really loved about it, that it really felt emotionally satisfying that they dealt with that, with those issues. Also, it was super cute, and the kitchen kisses were wonderful. <laughs> After that, I have to say, that had to be real. It couldn't be anything else. And now I ship them in real life forever. I mean, it could be anything else, but I don't think it was. And I think many, many people um, are of that opinion. Yeah, they really lucked out with, with this main couple. It really brought the drama to life. And we did get rainbows and puppies. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I think that we wraps did, up they were everything. Earned. Those puppies were earned. Yes. They were, exactly. Yes, yes. They came through pain and heartbreak and... Vaccinations. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of socialization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obedience training school. <laughs> Maybe that's not the right word. <laughs> that, re <laughs> that reminds me of, you know... Um, just the last um, reference to a person um, when he um, when he's testing out a G3 uh, and it's Gia and he's like oh how did you know I was human and then he runs off to the corner and puts on the, the cat mask and he's like ow 
<laughs> Lying on the floor, wiggling all fours. That was the actual best. <laughs> there were so many great scenes. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just his like, um, sort of high emotional acting that was great. His comedy was great as well. Okay, but we are going to actually talk about this forever if we carry on. So I think we have to call it a stop there. Um, thank you so much, Lee, for joining us. Um, it's been really great having you. And, and I think, sadly, unfortunately, I'm sorry, we spent most of the time sort of just yakking instead of giving each other space. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it's That's been okay. really no, great. It was, it was lots of fun. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> what we'll do, hopefully we'll have you again. What we'll do is we'll put up uh, links to your T-shirts in case anyone wants to buy them. Um, you'll find links in the show notes to the T-shirts and you'll find links to the essays which we talked about. And... Are we allowed to, like, specially dedicate episodes? Because I want to dedicate this episode to one person. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so, so this episode is uh, dedicated to uh, a commenter who goes under the name Liquid Soap, uh, also um, Vivanesca on Drama Beans. She kept things very fun and interesting, and I felt like she was my true comrade in arms. Or rather, I should say, she was the commander, and we were her minions <laughs> for this show. So this this one's okay. for you, Liquid Soup. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Um, thanks so much, Lee. You are now allowed to go to sleep. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> thanks very much. Bye. Good night, Lee. Bye. Bye. still feel bad about how long we kept Lee. That was really quite a spectacular time difference. Something like 15 hours from Anissa at the earliest to Lee at the latest. Then again, early morning Anissa is so funny, obviously we need to do this to her more often. It kills me that we barely scratched the surface of this show and there was so much more we wanted to talk about. It was so unexpectedly deep and the deeper you went the more you could mine, but I guess nobody would listen to a 20 hour podcast so let's call this one a win. As always, we love to hear your thoughts, and you can leave a comment on our YouTube page, contact us via Twitter at Podcast, or email us at starsinourpocket at gmail.com. For those of you listening via iTunes, we'd love if you could take a moment to leave a review. doesn't have to be long, just a few words. Nice words. <laughs> Don't forget, you can also subscribe via RSS. YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Once again, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you again soon.